One, two, three, four. Hello, indoor people. Welcome to Book we Record We are all Beer. indoor people. Everyone, right now. Welcome to Book Record Beer. This is season four, episode six, six, six. Six, 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 six. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is one I chose... Uh, Nick Mahalik, very, very excited to be with you today. Unfortunately, our good buddy, Nick Gregorio, uh, is not with us today, but my trusty comrade, one Daniel DeFranco, is here to get into this. Daniel, say hello. Hello, everybody. That is me. It feels weird because like, we're, we're doing this um, through Google Hangouts, so I can see you. I can so see I feel you. like it's a live show right. where like, other people can see, but they can't see anything. No. Uh, although I will say I almost just shit my pants because what appeared to be a gigantic quill pen rose up behind you and then moved to the right. But I imagine that was a cattail. Am I? That is that is a cat. She's our. She's actually taking Gregorio's spot in this cast. Wonderful. Let's see what she has to say about Albert Camus and the myth of Sisyphus. That is our uh, our book this time around. We also are going to be looking at Soundgarden's seminal 1994 release, Super Unknown. And we're going to be, well, I guess just me probably, uh, engaging in what's called beer suicide, uh, which is essentially just mixing whatever beers you have in the fridge together. So I am going to be mixing. And again, we're under quarantine here. So this is what I got left. Dire Straits. Dire Straits. I have my... Shiner Holiday Cheer, and I have my Rolling Rock, which I'll be combining. Daniel, what are you doing? I am drinking a Yards Brawler. I like to keep it local, Philadelphia, uh, but more so, and I'll show you this. The, uh, the label is uh, an old-timey boxer uh, fighting a devil. A pugilist fighting yes. the devil. And I think, I think we need a little bit of that in these times. We sure do. Uh, yeah. I, t- I totally agree. I didn't mean to sound like a fucking facetious whack job there uh we sure do and i am really i'm excited because as you know Camus one of my faves but more importantly this particular piece talks about things that are super 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 present right now um there's a lot that i got from this where i had to even in the past like couple of weeks reacclimate what i had prepared to talk about for this cast uh, months prior um, so you want to get into it let's do it let's do it so um shall we uh begin by introducing the the dude um i i wanted to introduce you as a philosopher am, am i the dude you're the dude you're the only okay. other dude on the, the okay. cast right now <laughs> so uh you are kierkegaard my friend uh most famously known for his seminal work fear and trembling um, but I'm I'm pointing to either or here, where his uh, his his pull quote for that is, uh, "Hang yourself or don't. You will regret it either way." And uh, what's what's great about that is a number of things. One, it reminds me of your uh, not quite an adage yet, but soon to be. Uh, you know, whatever you think about Wikipedia, you know, support it or don't. <laughs> I can't help but hear that in his much more dire and dark uh, quote here. 
Um, but he also sets up Camus and sort of identifies this foundation of of all philosophy. And I notice in in a lot of your writing, uh, ironically, your more you know your 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 shorter works, you are trying to tap into very 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 large central ideas to the human experience. You're not necessarily fucking with you know uh, trivial matters or or, or the day to day, which I find a lot of people who are trying to write in that way end up doing um Mm -hmm. and so i i tip my hat to you in that way because uh well kierkegaard you know gets a little bit not quite lambasted but um Camus doesn't quite agree with him in some of this this text um i think he certainly sets up a foundation for Camus, and and he also you know takes great pains to reference him a number of times and i think he admires him quite a bit so um that's why you're kierkegaard um that was really nice that was um mine's going to seem like shit compared to that. <laughs> well, you know, so it goes. If if Nick were to have been here, I was going to give him Pasquale uh cuz he is uh, Blaise Pascal is is super pessimistic um but able to lift our mood and bring hope consistently. Uh and I find that he Nick Gregorio um while he 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 falls into these uh, uh modes of of, of pessimism sometimes um there's an underlying and consistent hope there so that's why i would give him pasquale all right i'd, I'd agree with that i'm sure he would like that too he's not um, gonna fucking listen we'll, to this so who the hell knows that's what i to say we find out what he doesn't listen <laughs> do we have to do a cast can we just talk shit on nick for this <laughs> for an hour and just as a goof to see if <laughs> to see if he listens i know that's what i was gonna say like it, i was it, really considering suggesting taking like the first 15 minutes and just saying outlandish things and seeing if he, and then he might not say anything. Yeah. So we wouldn't know either way if he listened or didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you would be Nicholas Flamel. Mm. And Cause it sounds like Nick Flannel. Ooh, no, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the main reason is cause I'm wearing a Harry Potter t-shirt as I'm sitting here in my basement. Right on. And, um, he, found the philosopher's stone oh right on (laughs) so he turned you know base metals into something of worth and i find that you have an uncanny ability (laughs) to uh take shit and make it seem good hey man and i mean that in not not in a dickish way no that that comes from years of reading the bible (laughs) (laughs) um Thank you. No, I appreciate it. I, I uh, is he even a philosopher? Or am I just really stretching it there? I, you know, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter. I think it's. I think it's great either way. And also, um, you've essentially called me an alchemist, so I'm. I'm going to take that and run with it. Yeah. Um, so let's uh, let's jump in. A little bit of background. If anybody is unfamiliar, uh, Camus, a very famous writer. He um, is mistakenly identified as a nihilist due to his seminal work of. Um, the Stranger or The Outsider, depending on the translation and version you have, um, where the protagonist uh, famously kills an unnamed Arab and shows uh, on the beach and shows no remorse whatsoever, shows no remorse when he you know, says there's that famous line, um, mother died today or was it yesterday? I don't, I don't fucking know. Right. And so a lot of his texts are are you know, regard as these nihilistic tests that nothing really matters when Camus himself is not a nihilist. Uh, He's also grouped in with the existentialists. He himself is not 
an existentialist, right? He's he's actually questioning both of these camps pretty significantly and and dutifully throughout this essay and others. So um, what we can say about Camus is that largely he he's an absurdist, um, and this idea of the absurd is something that permeates his work, his life, governs his action, um, and is the central tenant to this um, to this text. Are you going to give us a definition of absurdism? Because I absolutely until reading this, I always thought absurdism was just it's like if you're just being silly because mm. it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, but it means so the, something different in right. uh, philosophy. Absolutely, yeah. So, so the absurd is is certainly this idea of the irrational, um, and w- w- when we're looking at it, you know, in in philosophy, it's it's sort of like this, you know, recognition. Uh, conscious recognition and and you know identification of the sheer drudgery of life and actually just recognizing that it is unfeeling, irrational, unremorseful. The world around us and this life that we that we lead um, and and it's absurd to exist. Um, that it's absolutely absurd to exist and it operates. Um, with the presumption that there is no afterlife, there is no divinity governing all this, right? So that's absurdism. It's already working under the belief that God is dead and that there is no heaven, there is no hell, there is no afterlife, that we get what we get here uh, and that we exist in an absurd reality. Can you imagine that? Right. So that's the thing is like... (laughs) I, I mean, there's it, no limits to what you can imagine. <laughs> Jesus, just the sheer narcissism, Sorry. but the unwitting narcissism yeah. of that. What Daniel's referencing for anyone listening that that isn't aware is Gal Gadot's, I think, genuine attempt to bring happiness by having a number of celebrities acapella John Lennon's Imagine with her. Um, and not open their purse strings whatsoever <laughs> but just yeah, go man, listen some of them <laughs> some of them look at us have. look at look at these beautiful people attempt to sing won't that brighten your day from our 22 million dollar mansions like everything about that really reversed the uplifting sort of like genuine feeling of hopefulness that i was getting to mm-hmm. at that point and then i saw that and i was like you fucking dicks. Just you walking, <laughs> you walking, throbbing dicks. Like what? Did you, How do you not see yourselves right now? Yeah. Did you see um, apparently uh, Comrade Brittany is, is one of us? Comrade Brittany fucking rules. You probably saw that because I posted it. That's probably why. Yeah, yes. dude. I was <laughs> okay. like, fuck yeah. <laughs> DM me and I'll buy you. DM me, I'll buy you. Your, your your diapers whatever you need right <laughs> i was so, like yeah someone someone posted uh they're like if if this is your if if you're just now learning that uh comrade Brittany is you know is this is the way she is you haven't been paying attention right. i was like i i have not been paying attention dude that's that is that is true i but I, it's so nice to hear i dated a girl who told me that and I think I refused to like believe it for whatever reason because it was a while ago. Loved it. Um, 
Yeah, that was fantastic. I was it was so good to see. Way to go, Britt. The last gasps of the record industry. She's just putting right back out to the people. Those those twenty five dollar <laughs> wall purchases are coming right yeah. back to you via Brit. Yeah, you know? it all it's all it does trickle down. Yeah. How about that? How about it? She's she's uh she's discounted and yet proved she's this paradox that Camus talking about. Two mm-hmm. things existing simultaneously that are both reasonable and make sense, but should not exist together. Absurd. Mm-hmm. Absurd. So, so um, you are. Uh, what's your background in philosophy? Because I, I have none except for the three things you've asked me to read for this cast. Which have all been largely from the same family. And mm-hmm. and so we're talking about uh, Sartre and Camus. Sartre. Um, Sartre. Um, which also he gets referenced here quite a bit. Uh, yeah, so so my background is is... I don't think I took more than three, maybe four courses in college, um, philosophy mm-hmm. courses, but I, I engage with it regularly. So I, I try and push myself and really, I mean, I know what I like and what discourse um, challenges me and that I like to, to engage with. And a lot of that is your existentialists, your absurdists and, and, and some nihilism and, and some, you know, general like romance i i like a lot of it but where i find myself coming back to is usually like a sartre or kierkegaard or 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 kumu mostly um Mm -hmm. and so he's your boy he really is my boy in a lot of ways because i agree with uh, a lot of his tense but i also love how sort of upfront he is in saying i won't overstep my bounds i won't you know he literally says it like four times in this like and it's only a what 22 page thing like I, I won't go out of my depth. He says it so many times, um, which I really appreciate about him because there's, it's like sheer brilliance. And then he stops you and goes, "But I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop you there because I'm not gonna go out of my depth. You know, I'm not gonna pretend like I know anything more beyond this." Um, and he gives credit where credit's due. Whereas a lot of philosophers aren't able to write. He's a writer first. That's the thing. And I wouldn't necessarily even think that he would call himself a philosopher, though we do now. Um, so in terms of background, I think that's. That's about where I where I rest. And um, so I wanted to ask you first, like in engaging with it, did you sort of see how it all linked to uh, Sisyphus? Um, or what he was what he was trying to attempt to do with that parable type uh, format there? Yes and no. I, I think and this this might come up later or maybe it's coming up right now. I don't know if I bought it. I don't know if I can imagine Sisyphus happy. Right. So I, I think his his like main argument in the 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 final essay there is, um, you know, if 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 we can imagine, I can get the exact line up. Um, but he says, uh, of course, no, I can't find it. Okay, uh, if the descent is thus sometimes performed in sorrow. It can also take place in joy, um, right? And it's like, well, and then he doesn't. It's like I don't. He never really backs that up for me. He just is saying that opposites can exist because of absurdism, right? And so, so really, it's it's interesting because he's he's developing through the essay this idea that the only thing that we are 
held to is that which we create ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So this first thing that sort of sparks the absurdism is a feeling, right? Uh, uh, absurdity is many things, and one part of that is this feeling, this consciousness where we one day recognize, we come home from the machinations of life and, and the machinery that we've become when we're out there in the world, and we realize how absurd it is that, that, that we really have little agency and, and, and that we're just part of this sort of thing with, with, with no sort of faded course and, and, and there's not really any sense reason behind it, which is to say no reason to live, you know? Um, and that's, that's, that's sort of the first realization is, and becoming conscious of that. He then ties to this idea of, of absurdism granting us freedom in a way. Um, and, and when we look at it, he's, he's developing these truths. And like he says, you know, truth is itself sort of like inexplicable. It exists and it just does. Um, and it doesn't matter if you're a, a, a demon, uh, an angel, a human. It doesn't matter who or what you are. Truth is truth, right? So mm -hmm. the perception doesn't, doesn't necessarily have an impact. Um, and so throughout the essay, until he gets to, and I thought it was great that he framed it where he doesn't even get into the parable until the last two pages. Um, so the myth of Sisyphus doesn't even come to us until the end. I think he's working on the presumption that we all know it. Um, mm -hmm. And then he's going to say, this is what I'm using it for by the time we get to the end. And throughout these first parts, he's basically saying, these are truths that I am now holding myself to. And that's pretty much all we can do is develop these truths that then we become prey to. Right. So these truths then consume us. Right. And that and that's sort of how we live. Um, and so one of them is this idea that the, the recognition of the absurd is sort of the first truth, that feeling that we live in an absurd universe and world um, is sort of that initial step that one takes to then end up where you're saying that Sisyphus. The, and we'll get into the myth. So this is the myth, right? He he is punished by the Greek gods. Uh, he's immortal. He's a-mortal, not I-M-M, right? He is, he's, a, he's a mortal man. He's a man. mortal man. Um, and he gets punished by the gods, and his punishment is to roll this enormous rock of earth uh, up the side of a mountain, uh, and then it falls back down. He has to walk back down, pick it up, and roll it again. So there's no goal, He's 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 just doing this drudgery over and over again. And that is what Camus talking about. That idea of rolling a rock forever to just watch it fall and have to roll it again is essentially what we do every day. Here's here's my problem with the myth. Go for it. Because it, and this ties into, you know, um, how, the choices that we have as well. Right. What happens if he doesn't roll it back up? If He just says, fuck it and just keeps just walks over the hill. I don't think he can. I think that's the point, though. He can't. Um, he, he, that's his punishment. You know what I mean? It's it's like Prometheus. So they make him like he's right. Yeah, he's he's bound to this. He's compelled. He's a he's immortal. He's bound to this. I mean, even Prometheus, who was a god, is is strapped to a mountainside, and this eagle's eating out his liver every day, only for it to grow back and then be eaten again. Right. Yeah, this is I sort mean, of a. a a theme in the ancient Greek mythology is, yeah. is these kinds of punishments to those who challenge the the power of the gods. Now, what is what has Sisyphus um, challenged? You know, it's really interesting to see that 
ultimately um there's a few different things like he stole the god's secrets is one telling of it um another is that he put death in chains you know um mm-hmm. which is really interesting because it's the one thing that death is like that one thing that binds humanity you know that 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 we it's the only truth that we actually know you know that we're gonna die um and he's the one who 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 sort of like upsets that um norm which is which is pretty interesting and so that's that's one tell telling and um you know it's it's pretty it's pretty fascinating the different the different things that happen here to gain him this punishment so him putting death in change you know which of course pluto becomes super pissed about this and then you know uh finally liberates death and then there's another one that sisyphus when he's nearing death he challenges his wife um tests her love essentially it orders her to leave his body unburied in the middle of the square and then he finds himself in the underworld which is sounds kind of like a dick to demand that of his wife but also that's a direct call to the oedipus trilogy because antigone of course buries polynices um Mm -hmm. and then she ends up hanging herself Right. Well, she wanted to bury Polynices because she didn't want him to wander forever. He needed a he needed a burial. Correct, correct. And and her her punishment ends up being that she ends up hanging herself, right? Mm-hmm. So she commits she commits suicide at the end. But but I think it's interesting that there's like this callback. Um, and I meant to look up which one came first, the myth of Sisyphus or uh, Sophocles, Antigone. Mm-hmm. But th- there's this interesting. That's I mean, if nothing else, a theme then that were bound to the god's rule that's why antigone does what she does because she says i will obey the law of the gods before i'll obey creon this man's rule right Mm -hmm. and sisyphus of course finds himself in there then he finally you know uh convinces them to the gods to let him go back on earth and he becomes so enamored with earth Again, I'm just gonna stay here. That, I'm just gonna stay, and then they're like, "What the fuck, dude?" Yeah. They they took a long time to notice. It's like six he... years or something. Like yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's hilarious. So then Mercury comes and and seizes the imprudent man by the collar. Um, I thought we told you, and uh, and then brings him back. But I like it here. Yeah, <laughs> brings him back to the underworld where the rock is ready for him for his disobedience. So whatever it is, whether he's put death in chains or whether he's tricked them to let him get more time back on Earth, he's punished in this way. To be reminded, and this is what I think, um, to be reminded of his mortality. If you're mortal, this is what it means to be mortal. Pushing a rock forever, and you don't get to walk on the other side of the mountain. Your freedom is only in so far as the size of your head. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that's sort of where we see Camus kind of coming to this conclusion that he likes to imagine that that period of time from when the rock reaches the apex and rolls back down to when Sisyphus at the apex walks back down behind it to roll it up again, that that period of time is the freedom. Like that, that, that period mm-hmm. of time is actually what it, what it means to be a living mortal and why it is worthwhile to be a living mortal, right? That, that we, we, we have this, this, ability this time to contemplate because ultimately it you know at the end there after he develops these truths that he's holding himself to he goes it's quantity not quality you know if if we're going to believe in the absurd we have to believe that it is 
the quantity of a life lived rather than the the quality that that we're meant to yeah. um sort of like hold to so so the very last line of the um the uh the book the uh long essay mm-hmm. the very last essay titled the myth of sisyphus he says um and it, it, it points right to that walk down. The struggle itself towards the height is enough to fill a man's heart. Uh, with what? Who know, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, and then the final sentence is, one must imagine Sisyphus happy. Yeah. And you've got, a, when you put that in context of, you know, the drudgery of, of existence of, of a nine to five. Yep. It's almost like a, a wish uh, man, you've got to, you can only imagine, like, we've, you've got to believe that you're happy. Otherwise, why are you even, why are you even doing anything? Why are you here? Right. Why not just kill yourself? Well, exactly. And he's not saying that there isn't a, a, a reason to kill herself, but more so that there's a reason to rebel against the reality of that. Yeah. And, and that rebellion is this idea that in that walk from the top to the bottom over and again, you have freedom. And what's interesting to me, and I would love your take on this, is like I feel like right now we're being in a way even denied that pleasure, right? Because when we don't get time in our own minds – Unless we really actively try to have it because we have people making a ton of money to keep us distracted from being in our own minds to think about shit like this. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like if you have a phone on you, which everyone does for the most, I mean, I shouldn't speak in these sweeping generalizations, but the vast majority of us do. Then you don't even get that freedom that Camus is describing right then that Sisyphus has when he walks down to pick up the rock again. So I get that in the morning when I leave my phone in my bedroom right. on mute Absolutely. and I walk down the stairs. Yep. It's great. Dude, it's, it's fantastic. Like, I've been running around the track like super late at night because I know no one's there. And I was saying to Jill last night, like, I will literally get in the 25 minutes that it takes me to run three miles or whatever, I will, I will literally get two, three, sometimes like what would be hours of thinking done. Like I'm just, I can, I can like literally feel the electricity coursing through my fucking brain and things being revealed to me. You know, like mm-hmm. these, these things, not that they're supreme and, and, and really deep truths, but like things that I've been wrestling with and things that are, things that are on my mind being resolved just by having that silent, time in my own in my own fucking head yeah solitude will, will work you know uh, magic for you so Camus is, is arguing so actually I, I wrote a note down here it's um that idea of happiness is is that it's it's an idea mm-hmm. it's not actual happiness or freedom it's just the idea of it and I think that's what I'm struggling with right uh, it, it is that is that moment when you're on the track is that I mean that is actual is that act okay? So that is not an idea. That's a tangible moment you're having. Yeah, and that is an experience. And and that's that's what he's saying. Like, where, and that's not abstract. Where where yeah, where he's building on this idea of what absurdity is, 
he does point to this thing where it's like I can trust my senses, right? Mm-hmm. I can trust what I know to be true, um, because I can I, I can feel and experience it and and different things like that and and I I, I won't engage with the idea of a God because that goes against what makes us us, which is, which is rational, right? Which is reasoning beings. Um, and it's the super interesting discourse he gets into at one point, And I have a note that I want to pull up um, where he's talking about that idea of, of, yeah, we, we are rational. And what is a God, but this easy answer to say, no, this is why. And to, to be our crutch for the unexplainable, you know, um, and, and, and the afterlife and, and all this kind of stuff is, is essentially what, what that then becomes, right? And, of mm-hmm. course, we're talking about a guy who's in the period of, of our nihilists and our existentialists and, and all this stuff is, is working upon the premise of God is dead. So, so it, you know, it, it, it stands to reason that that's the way he would be basing his sort of like addition, you know, on, on that sort of foundational idea. But when we're talking about happiness, it's it's – it's interesting because I I find that wild that he ended it that way too because happiness to me is like I was thinking that Nine Inch Nail song uh, Happiness is Slavery mm-hmm. um, and it's just like yeah like that can be just as bad if you if you bind yourself to that and, and see it as it, that could become a god for you right like being happy is this god that you have to uh, obtain when it's not really anything at all and he has uh, Camus says um the absurd in his extreme tension, which he maintains constantly by solitary effort, for he knows that in that consciousness and in that day-to-day revolt, he gives proof of his only truth, which is defiance, right? And so I feel like that is, is what he means by happiness, that, mm. that this defiance of, yeah, the, the absurd, the absurdity of, of life could s- move us to saying that, we can we can end it but to be human is to reason and to reason might be but i do have the freedom to defy that even though it is logical and reasonable that that is what life is uh and that suicide is just rushing to the uh, certain end that we're going to face anyway and, and it's this idea of is the choice to end your life when you want it the defiance or is the defiance living in defiance of that truth Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean um yeah i think it's the latter right i think it's the latter too i i i'm not always of that mind though like uh it's extraordinarily interesting for me to to think about that because in in a way suicide like settles the absurdity right it ends it right and it takes it with it um and i know as someone who like really struggles with with that, hence me picking Chris Cornell and, and Soundgarden and that particular album, like that's something that um, is on my mind all the, all the time. And this made me think of something and it wasn't even on the first like rereading of it. It was on the most recent one after being in quarantine and mm-hmm. seeing sort of like the overwhelming solidarity of humans to look out for one another. Has that struck you at all in this time? Of of pandemic quarantining, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yes. Um, 
Uh, like we're yes. in here because people will die if we're not. Yeah, yeah. I will say that there is a solidarity, but I, I feel like, and maybe it's because it's in the absence of uh, of people. I see a lot of. I feel like the assholes are are a little brighter. The people that think things aren't real and they're flaunting it, and you know, rules don't apply to them. Right. So, but, but that but that disheartens so, me. But I feel like generally, yeah. Isn't it so I, like present though to like look out or stand on your sidewalk and see no one for a really long time? Dude, like I said before, we this I went for a walk just to get my daily exercise, and I could walk down the middle of the street. There I is, have been. Yeah. There's there's um, no, like me and Gabriel take walks to find puddles people, and shit. There's yeah, people are, are are following. The only the, people uh, that I see are like walking a dog, mm-hmm. or like there's some immediacy to to why they're out. It's very clear, you know. But the some buses I, pass us, dude. Midday, morning, even it doesn't matter. There's one person, nobody on the bus. Yeah, hopefully that person's the driver. It's usually just a dude in the way back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's on cruise control. <laughs> to be honest with you, he's just in the way back. Um, yeah, but that's been really surprising to me especially get, it almost seems like uh at times a, a rebellion against the ineptitude of this leadership mm-hmm. at a national level you know um which is really fascinating but i don't know i'm really i was really taken by that and and this idea that like you know yes yeah, su- suicide is sort of like the end to the absurdity once you have that conscious like lucidity that it is this way sort of um, and I wrote this note to myself, which is like, there was a, a very, I had a very, very dark period where I pretty much like lost everything. Um, and I was in the ocean uh, swimming towards what I thought was a sandbar, but it was actually the open ocean. And it was me and my brother and we got sucked out, essentially. Um, when was this? Uh, 2009. So we were literally being sucked out to the open ocean, screaming for help. Um, No one came. And so we were out there for well over an hour. He was kind of like essentially drowning. He kept going under and I had to keep picking him up and putting him on my back. And I was swimming and trying to break the the current for over an hour. Um, And finally... Uh, got far enough that we broke it, and I literally felt it like like a really strong magnet being pulled apart, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we made it and we walked. And it's so fucking interesting because, I mean, that was the closest I've come to death. I literally thought we were gonna die. I was, I like, kind of made my peace with it a little bit. He was choking me on my back. I was blacking out, going under. We're both going under. I mean, it was, it was definitely as close as I've come to to death for sure. Had I been alone, I really wonder if I would have stopped swimming and just gone. And I didn't, I've, I've read this a number of times. I've never thought about that experience with regard to this idea. And I wrote this note to myself, which was like, this, this was perhaps the most profound experience of my life because I found myself, you know, in, in, in so many ways being in a very suicidal place but fighting to live in the moment where I could have very easily died. 
Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And it was because I was fighting for somebody else. It wasn't for myself. It was so that he would get to shore safely. Um, and and I don't know. I just really I found that to be such a like wild realization because when we look at it, like it's not that the reason for living is for other people, but often every time I, I find people that are of this mind and experience this and think about this in this really deep way, other people end up being either directly or in a tangential way a reason, for lack of a better word. See, I, 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 I agree with you. Is that present in uh, the myth of Sisyphus? No, it's, it seems it's, like it's a very singular. It is a singular thing because suicide yeah. is a very singular thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and what he's talking about is consciousness and, and one's en- engagement with the absurd in, on a very personal and individual level. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, no. It's just something that I've noticed because if we look at, you know, even the preface to this and, and what, what we know about Camus, he, he, his, his reason, uh, you know, air quotes, is almost always to take pleasure in the pleasures of reality mm-hmm. in, the, in the, in the pleasures of the world, right? Like to live for the instant, to live for beauty, to live for pleasure, the in impalpable grandeur of existence, you know? Um, and, and that's where he always ends up though. It's not directly addressed here, but I don't know. I, I feel like how does that, how does that end up being what, is sort of the response to this when you know our reason and the reality is is that it it really is a harsh irrational kind of place that we exist in so let me posit one angle to look at this text the title is the myth of sisyphus yes um and i can argue that by virtue of his closing one must imagine Sisyphus happy. Right. Um, I always read the title of this, and it was always framed in my mind as not the myth of Sisyphus, as here is the story of this mythological figure, Sisyphus. Right. right. So under the frame of the myth of Sisyphus, I looked at it not so much as here is the myth uh, slash the story of this mythological figure, Sisyphus. Um, I looked at it as... um, the the myth like this thing doesn't exist oh i see i see like the myth of happiness you know right. it doesn't exist right 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 yeah i i i wonder if it's if he's saying that you know you're you're arguing that happiness is is an illusion yes that and that's and that is it's something part we convince of, ourselves of it's it's part of his um of his position here have you ever had that moment where you just know something is this way mm-hmm. and you did yeah, before? Sure, I feel like it, almost everybody has, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. that's what he's talking about is like that that happens with everybody at some point with regarding that this world, and it's another premise that this is operating on, that this world is absurd mm-hmm. in the way that he's defining it. And one day, it might be when we're, I think he says, when we're 30, right? He says, you know, a person is 30 and then they say this they say this thing <laughs> that <laughs> the, the world is this absurd my back hurts is that what they, <laughs> is that the thing they say when they're <laughs> yeah like now this is just yeah, and and you know of course we're not going to 
uh, talk about Louis C.K., but he does have that great bit where he's just like, I went to the doctor about my ankle. It was really bothering me. And the doctor was like, yeah, you, this is how old you are now. This, you, shit's gonna this is just the way breaking. it's going to yeah. This is the way it's going to Just the break. way it is. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's pretty interesting. You, uh, hold on. Where is it? I got it. Um, One day the why arises and everything get, begins in that weariness tinged with amazement. Right. Weariness comes at the end of the acts of a mechanical life, but at the same time, it inaugurates the impulse of consciousness. It awakens consciousness and provokes what follows. What follows is the gradual return into the chain, or it is the definitive awakening. And so, I mean, really, either we choose to go back and just do the drudgery after knowing that that's yeah. what it is, or we make some sort of definitive change which he's arguing some people see as as suicide I, th I think most people go back to the drudgery right and yeah. the change isn't always doesn't always have to be suicide right of course right not. the change can be like no i am happy in this walk down the hill yeah right you know but i feel like most people aren't they're just miserable right i think it's i think it's a myth that that yeah. you can be happy i'm i'm probably taking a very nihilistic uh, view of this yeah but yeah. that could just be because I've been indoors for two weeks like, you know, everybody else. Yeah, man. I mean, you know that um, quote that's attributed to Vonnegut, which is like your your world or your planet's immune system is trying to get rid of you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've seen that meme. Yeah. Here we go. If I were a tree among trees, a cat among animals, this life would have a meaning or rather this problem would not arise for I should belong to this world i should be this world to which i am now opposed for my whole consciousness my whole insistence upon familiarity he's saying yeah, that feels humans don't like we're not a part of this in, in in the way that we should be this ridiculous who feels like they belong right but like that's but that's what he's saying we don't feel like we belong because we that's have what reason. i'm saying who and, but because we have reason like as a race we have mm -hmm. this unique attribute that separates us from the animal kingdom in a very distinct way but it also separates us like in a realization that we are maybe not meant to be here. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's what he's arguing is that we, we actually don't belong. Like we have this immense intellect and that intellect actually like, cause think about it to believe in God, to believe in a heaven or hell is the denial of intellect. Mm -hmm. You have to throw that away to believe in that thing. Well, then that makes you less human, right? You're, you're literally removing your humanity to believe in a thing that lets you feel better, right? But that's just ignorance. So it's, it's really, my, my note was this links to our current condition right now, which is the world might be trying to fucking kill us, right? And I had this really sort of terrifying thought this morning. I woke up and I was like, yeah. It's weird that, like, we're in this extreme state. The mortality rate isn't as high as a number of other things we've seen. The yellow fever epidemic in Philly, for instance. You know, like, the, the 1918 influenza, Spanish influenza thing. Like, all these things that were really, really brutal. Even swine flu was, like, targeting children. You know what I mean? Yeah. The cat gets it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Um, and so what we're, what we're seeing here is, like, moderate in comparison with a greater outpouring of humanity to support those who are vulnerable. 
Right. Yet, and this is my thought, but are you familiar with uh, with uh, Children of Men? Where the movie? Everybody becomes sterile. Well, it's a, it's a book, but yeah. I, I'm the familiar story. with the movie. Yeah, so I think it's P.D. James. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much the same thing. The movie or the book. Um, so everybody becomes sterile, right? What if COVID-19 sterilizes the population? That'd be... Like, we don't really get... Like, like but it, it, ki- it ends our race. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because we are a blink. We are a blip no matter what in the terms mm-hmm. of existence on the planet. So I, it, not, I'm not saying that's happening, right? But my... my Someone's going to... Some, it's a good thing we're not, like, really popular because somebody, some right-wing whack job would take that, like, book record beer says COVID <laughs> makes race sterile. But that's that, what, what I'm submitting is... I'm going to actually start a feud with us just to get some uh, traction, some promo. <laughs> good, do it. Um, but what I'm, uh, I'm submitting is, is like, what we are mostly outside the world. There's been very little. If you look at the whole of human existence, there have been very few races of humans that have, like, pretty much been contributors and like a part of the world in a very visceral and real way. We operate outside of it. I mean, mm-hmm. look at our like. If you look at our city, it is mostly man-made. It is this little floating thing that operates outside of nature we're not really a part of the world you know um and so i'm not saying that like covid19 is going to make us go extinct but what i'm saying is all this stuff keeps happening and our intellect is what saves us but we then don't go back to engaging more with the world we no, just go back to further. pushing the rock up the hill right back to the same thing exactly we are the mark of insanity, essentially, because yeah. we expect a different result, but we keep doing the same thing, and we keep doing it worse. Yeah, you know, like are we you, though? Yeah, I mean, I look back at the, you know, a, a number of the native tribes in the Americas and how they operated in the world versus mm-hmm. how we do. You know, the it, it's just. No, I just heard myself. Yeah, we're definitely making it worse. <laughs> I just kind of was like trying to think of the, all these things started flooding in. As soon as I said it, I was like, yeah, definitely could have done without these, you know, billion things that we've done. Yeah. You know, I mean, and he has this other line. But what does life mean in in such a, a universe? Uh, the universe being burning and frigid, transparent and limited in which nothing is possible, but everything is given. Right. Nothing's possible because we are who we are. Yet everything is given to us in this universe. Do you know what I mean? As far as like mm-hmm. what we could do, use uh, the opportunity that's 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 available there. And so, what does life mean in such a universe? Nothing else for the moment, but indifference to the future and a desire to use up everything that is given. Mm-hmm. Literally, that sounds about course of action here. What does life mean in such universe? Nothing else for the moment but indifference to the future and a desire to use up everything that is given. It, it, it's, I mean, it's absolutely absurd. That's the way we're, that's the way we're operating right now. And so he wrote this in 1950, 49? What was it? I know the English one that I have here was in 55, but the original thing was written in... Uh, is it 50? 55. This is actually 55. Okay. Oh, no, sorry. 42 was um, the French one. 
42. Okay. So if he wrote yes, this today. Yes, this is before the plague, yeah. Yeah. What, wait, which plague? His book, The Plague. Oh, I was like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> Did I miss something? It's about the painful death of a child. Yeah. Um, if he wrote this today, I bet that would be his central argument instead of we must imagine happiness. Because it's interesting to see that. So he writes this, what, during WW2? 42, yeah, right. So he's writing it during that time. He's seeing like sort of the worst of us and that's but that's not his that's not his central argument even then yeah well because he wrote he wrote the stranger the same year right i believe so yeah yeah um yeah and so th- this indifference is sort of like his his big thing this it's more yeah it's more of 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 being indifferent but finding some reason to go on and Frankly, not a good reason. Right. I mean, like, in in other texts, he talks about the idea of beauty and the idea of pleasure and these things being sort of like why we should continue. But ultimately, it's it's really fascinating for me, for him to go, one day you wake up, you become conscious that you're rolling a rock up a hill in perpetuity, mm-hmm. right? Or perpetually forget what the fuck I was trying to say but in becoming conscious of this you then are giving yourself a choice to continue doing the thing and be miserable about it or to exist in a way that recognizes it and says and says fuck you universe for being this way I'm going to continue to exist just to say fuck you for being this way mm-hmm. is ultimately I think what I walk away with and yes and I'd subscribe to that I don't know I'm gonna amass enough experience to 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 have the biggest fuck you that I can yeah I maybe just kind of wrap this up um absolutely I'd love to hear your your thoughts on nihilism because I feel like that's kind of intertwined with this, although you know absurdism and nihilism aren't exactly the same, but they're they're pretty close, right? They are they are pretty close. I think with absurdism you're you're left with choice, and with nihilism you're left with an absolute. It's nothing. Nothing matters. Exactly. Absolutely, nothing matters in nihilism. So yeah, frankly, like, why even try? But but the interesting thing is too there that you have, um, you know. Uh, Nietzsche, the sort of founder of nihilism, who's, who's, you know, quoted as saying, it clearly seems that the chief thing in heaven and on earth is to obey at length and a single direction. In the long run, there results something for which it is worth the trouble of living on this earth as, for example, virtue, art, music, the dance, reason, the mind, something that transfigures something delicate, mad, or divine. So even he doesn't seem to at a time fully subscribe to that idea. Yeah, I mean I feel like there those are the things that are worth being here for. And 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 so there's just this this back and forth on that which is like okay, so we're so we're here for experience, we're here to do this, we're here if not for that then to say fuck you to the universe and this chance that we are here and live as long as we can to to have the biggest fuck you possible. 
it, it's it's to me most interesting that we don't talk about what we're doing right now, which is just, and I think that's what he's talking about with the walk from the top of the hill to the bottom, thinking about it, like that we consider what it all is and that we take time to like give that a decent chance to be figured out. Mm-hmm. And and it's not that we need the answer to figure out like what meaning is or that it all does actually have one. It's the fact that we in, engage with it. Like that we're having this conversation right now about something a dude wrote, you know, 80 years ago who when you look at how he died is so ironic. How did he die? He died in a car accident with the train ticket that he was supposed to take to get to his destination in his pocket. He at the last minute decided to ride with his publisher who crashed his car into a tree and killed them both. I think they both died, but Camus definitely did. Right. And so like talk about a, (laughs) absurd or ridiculous or whatever Mm -hmm. you know that that's it right there and i think the the thing of like people saying everything happens for a reason and having these belief systems that are these easy sort of answers challenging that bullshit i i think is what sisyphus is meant to be doing on the walk down right and that's my sort of like takeaway you know is 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 that because when i look at our current age i really do wonder if we're going to change after this pandemic if when we can get the fuck out of our homes and see one another if we're going to engage in passion i haven't seen any posts about people making the most of their time with their partner to fuck each other's brains out for real i've seen almost no posts like that and maybe that's because a lot of people are stuck by themselves Right. But I know that a lot of people are stuck with their partners and maybe that's not truth or whatever. But like, isn't that such a positive thing that should also be sort of celebrated in this time? Like we have this rare moment to connect with another human being. How many of us are just sitting on our phones in the same fucking bed and don't even kiss each other goodnight? You know what I mean? Like probably a lot, probably a lot. And that is sort of like when you have the chance to not have to push the ball up the hill, why are you still doing it? I see. I'm going to, I'm going to push back on that a little bit and, and say that this uh, anxiety riddled state we're in right now is pushing. It's it, we're not pushing the ball up the hill. It's, it's crushing us right now. We're, we're, so we're, we're suffering at the, the weight of it. And the, and the, that's a valid argument. So absolutely valid. That's but a whole I think, different, I, uh, I think we should roll it off of us and, and, and be, fucking who we're stuck with yeah well it's, it's sometimes <laughs> tough you know because the, the 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 rocks on your wiener you know right you're right sometimes that rock is large yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no matter how much blood flow you got you're not gonna lift that rock That's no true. you know i mean <laughs> how many how many push-ups <laughs> one's all you need yeah one's all you need um right, yeah so uh, i was gonna say that as as a positive i do wonder how we'll go back yeah. after this 
Um, but God, I also I better. I I really like if there's ever been an example or or some sort of like something shaking us to do it. This is it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, man. We'll see. We shall see. Yeah, it's gonna be so weird to listen back to this. Holy shit! It's gonna be bizarre. All right, let's um, let's jump in the super unknown. I'm gonna uh, feed Live the cats. In the super unknown. I'm gonna grab another beer and feed the cats, and I'll be right back. Sounds good. All right, let's get into this record, my man. Super unknown. Super unknown. For those uh, who are unaware, Super Unknown is the uh, fourth studio album from Soundgarden. It was released it's their fourth. In, yeah, released in '94. So it was their third on A and M. That I didn't know. I thought this was their first. I thought this was their second major. Um, but uh, yeah, so I th- I thought it was just same. I had the order messed up. I love Soundgarden. Mm-hmm. Full full disclosure. This is one of my favorite bands of all fucking time. Um, I thought Ultra Mega OK was their second release. That was their first release on SST Records, and then they got signed to AMM AM for um louder than love and then they put out bad motor finger which had jesus christ pose which was like sort of the breakthrough for them that got them tons of momentum sort of separated them from a lot that was happening in seattle that came out in 91 and then mtv wouldn't play the video right and then they put out super unknown and that just fucking i mean exploded i mean that was number mm-hmm. one I, I think um black hole sun was number one for like a record amount of time the video great video all yeah. that shit like and what i uh so there's a there's a lot for that song specifically but in any case yeah this is their fourth studio album came out in 1994 um this i found out through some uh you know looking at interviews and different things like that uh, specifically this really good one from 2014 when they did the reissue um this was the first one where it wasn't just uh, Cornell writing the songs. Like, he's not even on uh, one of the songs on this album at all. Like, not even singing or playing on not it? Not a bit. He's not even on it. The, the song is half. And it's just that weird, sort of, like, very airy mm-hmm. tune uh, with the, the singings, like, sort of... Uh, in a megaphone 20 yards away uh, and it's Ben Shepard the bassist singing it he demoed it singing it and Mm. Chris loved it and was like listen you just sing it and Ben's response was like but then there will be a Soundgarden song on a Soundgarden album on which you are not a part (laughs) (laughs) and Cornell was like yeah man that's what we're trying to do because really Cornell saw this album as the one where they because 94 is huge right Um, for grunge and all that where he really wanted to separate Soundgarden from the herd, he he wanted to be like, listen, we are, we are definitely he th- uh, a lot of groups at that time from there were trying to to make their own sort of niche, but he was like, we have already been that since '88, we've already had yeah. our sort of thing, um, and when you look at Super Unknown, it's a little more poppy, but if you were to call Super Unknown poppy, um, it's not a pop album, that's for sure. Right, right, but like. Cornell Compared calls to, Black Hole yeah. Sun a pop song yeah. in terms of arrangement and shit. Um, mm-hmm. But what's funny is uh, a lot of that is because he was doing um, what he called his hobby songs uh, with Temple of the Dog. 
mm-hmm. and he was he was doing those. So, what's your uh, experience with with Soundgarden and Super Unknown? Uh, you couldn't escape it when it came yeah. out. Yeah, man. So I knew of Soundgarden um, in passing. They weren't one of the big bands on my radar in the early '90s. Um, but when Super Unknown, Unknown came out, I was like. Oh fuck yeah! I like Soundgarden. Right. Learned learned how to play Fell on Black Days. Uh, yeah. You know, learned how to play Black Hole Sun on the guitar. Fell on um, Black Days. That's interesting that that was yeah. one of the ones you took on. Yeah. Usually it's but, like My Wave or one of those ones with the cool yeah, don't, over the hills really, and far away pull offs and shit. Don't really like My Way. I, I have Neither do con- I. Some controversial thoughts on this album. My brother. <laughs> I hate. Well, I don't hate that song. I really don't like it though, and it's one of the. It's singles. not good. It's, I don't like it. It doesn't. It doesn't do things for me, um, but I really like Soundgarden. And here's controversial statement number one. Go for it. I well. sometimes think that that first Audio Slave album is better than any Soundgarden album. And I've caught lots of shit for saying that. I, I will. I'll pile it on. Yeah, and I'm I, listen next to a toilet. I can take a moment. <laughs> yeah, no, I I have to disagree with you. There. Can I ask you this? Have you seen this? Is going to be classic, Mahalik, But have you seen Audio Slave live? No, I saw a local Philly band called Burning Brides blow Audio Slave off the stage at How the come? Electric Why Factory. Was it was tight, right? Absolutely fine. You have. Chris Cornell, fantastic singer, and you have Raging's Machine, incredibly tight band. Maybe it's it an was, off night. Maybe. Um, there was some energy, I guess. It was it was like listening to a recording that you put more into than the artist. Right. You know when was you're it too, in, was it too minimal, like when they were playing it live? Because Rage gets that way too, and I listen to that. Yes. I'm like, mm. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. This will I not think transfer. There's, there's, there's just, there's too many holes. Like you can see a band, and there's some holes, some pockets mm. where you know that there's layers that are on the record that are missing, and that's cool because usually yeah. it's made up for with energy, and it's made up for with creativity, a divergence of what you're expecting, a show essentially, right? It just wasn't a show. It felt very robotic, and mm-hmm. Burning Brides, cr- I mean, crushed the entire cra- I mean, I, my buddy and I, who love Rage and Soundgarden so much, we're ready to It's leave. a letdown. Yeah. Yes. So I don't want to take the focus away from Soundgarden too much. Yeah, um, I love Chris Cornell. I was very sad when he, uh, when he passed away. And I love Jeff Buckley. He's like my number one guy. Those guys were boys. Um, when I ask myself the question, <laughs> and I'll ask you, if you could have any rock singer's voice, not even rock singer, if you could have anyone's voice of all time, I always come, I always come back, I would pick Chris Cornell. People are like, really? Yeah. I thought for sure you would pick Jeff Buckley. It's like, no, because no, Cornell can do the same things. But he can scream also do dick off. Yeah. Yeah, no, Chris Cornell, a thousand percent, I'm a hundred percent with you. Yeah, I, I think the... Absolutely. If not the greatest rock vocalist, top three. I have no idea why Robert Plant is always thrown into that, other than that he's the lead singer of Led Zeppelin. 
His he, voice he could is sing so high. He kind of specific, though. Yeah, it's so specific in terms of when you think about a rock singer. You, your thing is range. Like I even fucking what's his name always gets lumped in there somehow, and he doesn't even know how to sing. Uh, uh, Axl Rose. Oh yeah. He's, he's, I mean, well, so distinct. So that'd be a different list. Most distinct. There you go. So that's a different list. Yeah. Robert Plant gets gets really high on the top of that. Chris Cornell can do anything. Yeah. He's fantastic. I mean, I love. I I I'm. His intonation is great. Dude, his, his tone, his control is out of control. Uh, Holy shit! Yeah. And I was watching. You know Ty Cobb. That song Ty Cobb. Mm. Hard I thought you meant like a baseball player. Hard <laughs> fuck y'all. To Santa. No, uh, no, I don't know. It's a fantastic song. It's like a minute and a half. Um, is it on Super Unknown? Because um, I don't know all the names of these songs. I, I was never that deep into the album. So Ben Shepard always gets like two punk tracks on their albums, or like mm-hmm. one or two, right? Um, so his was, he he got half on this one, and then I believe um, he got, uh, what the fuck was his other one? Sorry, Kickstand. Kickstand's on this. I right. think Ty Cobb is on Down on the Upside. That was their follow-up. Right, and that was their last one. Yeah. yeah. And then if you're counting King Animal or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, so Super Unknown comes out in 94. March 94, so they were, you know, this vision was created over 93. And what's interesting about this is um, this is the first time we get collaboration among the members, and really what what Cornell wanted to do was make this album their, I don't even know what album to compare it to, but the one that separated them and the one that sort of like said that they are, are no fucking joke whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like don't, don't call us anything but Soundgarden. Like Soundgarden is Soundgarden. This is what it is. And cause they were like the last of those. Were they from Seattle? Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. So they were the last of the Seattle bands to like really kind of put their foot down. I'm like, no, we're our, but they had been doing it before. Before all the other ones. All yeah. the other ones. So they yeah, were they, always. And what's interesting is like, it was They funny. came up with like Alice in Chains, late 80s, right? They kind of got picked up. Yeah, so up. they were like 86, yeah. 87. Oh, that's they were, early. They were starting. Their first major record was 88, out, 88 though, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What was he like? So, but they were around that 19 scene. years old? Yeah, pretty much. I think um, Kim Thale's older. Yeah. And there was the previous. He was like 32. Something like that. When the band <laughs> formed. Yeah. Yeah. He was our age. Um, yeah. But, dude, that's the thing about Soundgarden. So, for me, what I love about it is that you have these odd tunings, mm-hmm. really open tunings for the most part, that Cornell's playing with this wild texturing that's happening from Kim Thale at like breakneck speed. No matter how, no matter what the tempo is of the actual song. You have this wild, soloy texturing thing going on. Then you have either Hero or um, Ben Shepard, for the most part, playing what's essentially like kind of like a punk riff on the bass. And then you have one of the greatest drummers of all time, and Matt Cameron, syncopating everything in this fucking just beautiful menagerie of of sound. Uh, yeah. And when when you creating a garden. <laughs> Right. I just, I, I think it's so you, apt. It's so apt. Do you know why they're called Soundgarden? I don't. 
There was a. Um, it's been a long time since I read this. Uh, this this fact. If memory serves, there was a uh, field in uh, Seattle that had all of uh, either like the radio antennas or satellites. Okay, so and, like around here. Yeah, and Big. they called it the. It's where I guess the radio signals came from. So they called it a sound garden. I'm like, well, that's kind of cool. So nice. As, I mean, it's so funny that their sound garden and Savage Garden is Savage Garden. Yeah, <laughs> because it, you think it should, it should be di- they should flip, they should right? Certainly flip. Yeah, one is Savage and the others, I guess you it's, could call it sound. It sounds. It's. I mean, it's sound. <laughs> it yeah. is sound. I mean, yeah. quite literally. Yeah, it's sound. Yeah. Um. So, that's a little bit of background on the, on the album. You know, of course, we. We have this unfortunate sort of like reality now to look back at this and go, you know, and, and in the interviews that I read, it's funny because Cornell like always talks about how he's not ever really looking backward. Right. He's yeah. like always trying to be present, but that's because he finds himself in these these sort of like, you know, black days. Right. Fell on black days is is a really, really big one because he when they did the reissue, there's like tons of versions of that. There's mm-hmm. all these different ones. And he said that that was really one of the toughest ones to put down because what he wanted to sort of like capture for that song was that moment when he said people just like look up one day and realize that things have changed. There wasn't a catastrophe. There wasn't an end to a relationship. There was nothing profound that ended, died, changed but they have changed in some way mm-hmm. and things are worse. And it's this unexplainable, inexplicable thing that, you know, Cornell states he thinks happens to everybody, which I would argue is true. Um, and it's, and it's, it terrifies him or it terrified him that this thing could happen at any time. And it was just this thing. So fell on black days was, was him trying to, I would argue sort of like exercise that, like just just create something that could sort of like expel that from from him just sort of like a catharsis if you will um and i found that really interesting in 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 reading some of the interviews i mean probably the act of creation is was the long-term catharsis i'm sure there were other things in his life that um you know he relied on as well but you know the, the pursuit of art was i mean had to have been a big one to help him yeah. Uh, out of those black days. Right. I mean, and it's interesting, too, because this album comes on the heels of his work with Temple of the Dog. Yeah, so talk to me about that. We were talking about that off air, and you were, you say that this album is... It's really like, linked to it, right? Because yeah. Andy Wood, you know, passes away. Um, yeah. Those two were really good friends. I didn't realize that. And Andy Wood was in... The lead singer Mud of Honey. Mother Love Bone. Mother Love Bone, right. right. And, and so... Vetter comes along and creates Temple of the Dog as sort of this homage to Andy Wood, this this sort of like tribute to him, really. Not an homage, but a tribute. Um, and what Cornell said is like, that was super helpful, but at the same time was this reminder that this lens of creativity was gone this really unique way Mm. of being creative, looking at creativity. But really, I mean, the quote from him is, um, you know, the loss of Andy Wood's uh, 
perception on the world of music at large artistically um the his perception chris cornell's of the world of music at large artistically shrank when andy left and the history of soundgarden is pretty much totally wrapped up and struggling with the loss of kurt cobain andy wood jeff buckley because they were all like dear friends of chris and the band which which album so all of them like the 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 albums that come after the deaths of those guys really okay um so this gotcha. one down on the upside um and then maybe king animal but this one specifically comes on the heels of uh of andy wood who was really right. really close to cornell and was just this really unique guy and he you know there's spoon man is one of the the sing- the first single off this album yeah. um and who was the spoon man there's a story behind that that i read a long time ago do you know it yeah, so there, there's the actual Spoon Man. Spoon Man, yeah. Right, so he was, like, known around, um, excuse me, around Seattle. Um, and it's, like, pretty interesting because um, the dude's name is Artist the Spoon Man. And uh, he was invited. He's in the video. That's actually him in the music video. Yeah. Um, and he played with them, um, I think, a couple times. Uh, and... Chris was amazed at his ability to draw an audience's attention and hold it. So he he argued that artists could do what Chris he could not, which was that he would walk into a room, pick up pull these spoons out of a fucking satchel and everybody's jaw would drop. Whereas Chris has a voice that we would like kill for. Yeah. Um but he in terms of being a performer doesn't put himself on the same level as this dude who's busking in the streets, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so he was really, I, I think, um, you know, taken with that guy. But that actually has an interesting story behind it because Spoonman is one of the, you know the movie Singles? Yeah. Right, by Cameron Crowe? Mm-hmm. Um, so Chris is in it, right? Pearl Jam's in it. Yeah, uh, I, I bought that. There was the re-release of the, uh, like, those deluxe version that came out, um, what, three years ago? Oh, no shit. And it, it came out like the week or two before uh, uh, Chris Cornell died. So oh, that was Jesus. like, I went to the record shop that day that he died. I was like, it felt like it should be the, you know, just be a place I should be. Right. And uh, and yeah. I bought the singles. Um, Good pickup. I mean, it's a great yeah. soundtrack. He's got Screaming Trees, all those guys on it. Yeah. In there. Um, no, but so Spoon Man, singles. So, so, so um, uh, Jeff Ament, the bassist for Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm he wrote these fake song titles on a set list, you know, while they were filming for the show or whatever. Classic, for the movie. classic band prank. Right, yeah. So yeah. he writes these, um, and uh, Cornell takes five of those and turns them into real songs, one of them being Spoonman. Uh, that's funny. Yeah, because uh, what's his name? He's actually from, I think, Bozeman or Missoula, Montana, um, Jeff Ament. But right. he, I guess, had been living in Seattle long enough to know about the Spoon Man, so he writes that as one of the fake song titles, and then that's one of the ones that gets turned to it. Cornell said that he never really uh, uh, talked to Jeff about it, but like they both knew that he had done this thing where he took one of his ideas, I guess, and made it yeah. into a song that happened to be like the first single off this like huge album. Um, but I mean, really, that's, there's no intellectual property there. No, I mean, it's a no. song title. I, I, I'm just surprised that like even with temple of the dog and shit they didn't like ever talk about because it was the temple of the dog reunion and whatnot Mm. you know um i missed that man did you go to that i did not 
I wanted so, to really bad, but the tickets I I couldn't get. They were gone. Yeah, I think there were ten uh, club tickets, right? I'm not sure, man. I I, there was a reason. I'm sorry. Who got them? Ten club. What's that mean? Oh, Pearl, right, Pearl Jam. Um, yes. Bill, who owns a uh, Union Tap House. Um, yeah, he's got the poster. He went. He saw he saw a Cornell. I think almost every time he came through town. Damn. So he's he's got a lot of uh, you know, phone recordings, which is pretty cool. Dude, this was this cassette was my grass cutting cassette it was the exact amount of time that it took me to cut my lawn as a this kid is a, this is a long album how big was your lawn it's like an, this is this album's like 71 minutes no it's not this is a very long album let me get this up it's not 71 fucking it's, minutes you're probably looking long. at like the extended play reissue with all the demos of fucking 18 like suicides and all that well i i am looking at the reissue so hold on let me just yeah check out the the studio album i think was like 52 minutes or something like that. It was how okay, long so it took me to cut my lawn. It was the exact time every time. The 20th anniversary edition is an hour and 11 minutes. Yeah. And it's got 15 songs. Yeah, it's a long album for sure, but I don't I don't know that it was over an hour. Um Yeah, it's 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 really it's really one of those one of those things that like seems so heavily lyrically just like streamlined in mm-hmm. in in talking about isolation depression the black days that 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 we fall on and like if we're able to get out of them i mean even that that song like suicide you know which is yeah and i picked that because it's really on the nose um but it's like literally on the nose because uh cornell's demoing the song in his basement here's a smack goes upstairs and a bird has flown into his window and broken its neck and is like dying so he had to smash it with a brick to put it out of its misery and so when he's singing you know then she died just like suicide um Mm -hmm. uh it's it's the lyrics are literal like it is on the nose so i picked that as sort of like a tongue-in-cheek thing but um it it really is kind of fascinating just to see like and i guess it's one of those things you know to go back and tie it into myth of sisyphus like cornell hopefully went with that quantity you know he 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 put in as as many days as he could um and and did it for as long as he could you know which yeah. is a really long time you write this in 94 and and you you last for over twenty years longer. Awesome. Yeah, what's it, it was two thousand seventeen, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, the year Gabriel was born. So I remember being like, "Damn." Yeah. Uh, in the in the spring too, I believe, right? Like May or something like that. Yeah, he was. Um, he was. He was out on tour. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um. There's not enough for anybody that hasn't given Soundgarden a listen or enough of a listen or only knows Black Hole Sun, Spoonman, Burden in My Hand, stuff like that. Um, give their give those first five albums uh, a go. Like really, that's, that's listen a t- to them. if you haven't really heard much 
listen to five albums. <laughs> because the thing, and I'm not even kidding. The, the 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 real thing about it is like, there's so much there. It's what I would say if somebody hadn't listened to Modest Mouse. Yeah. Listen to the first five albums. And there's so let's, much. Let's narrow it down, there. man. That's a, that's, a, that's a huge ask for somebody. That's like I'll five hours listen, of their time, minimum. Listen to, listen to Bad Motorfinger. Yeah. Well, I'll give it three. Listen to the middle three. Listen to Louder Than Love, Bad Motorfinger, and Super Unknown. Now narrow it down. Which one should they really listen to of those three? So that's interesting. Like, if you want to know what makes Soundgarden Soundgarden, listen to Louder Than Love. If you want to know why Soundgarden is one of the greatest bands ever, listen to Super Unknown. Okay. And why? Well, why? because Louder Than Love is is where you see the raw, unique sort of DNA of the band. Mm-hmm. Super Unknown is where you see them stretching themselves and trying and and working and bad motor finger is where you see them comfortably kicking ass you know what i mean like if you were to try and just sit down at the kit and play jesus christ pose you probably couldn't do it that's a very difficult song not only that it's the tempo like Mm -hmm. you have to like to have that be your resting tempo you have to be so road worn you know you go on tour you come back and you are so much better than when you're at home just practicing. We're talking about practice? You know what I mean? <laughs> like like you when you're show ready, you're a you're a different animal. It's different. Yeah, absolutely. And and those dudes were were fucking three years on on labels, show ready and just comfortably throughout bad motor finger. Which is yeah. obviously bad motherfucker. You know what I mean? Like BMF, come on. Um, it's, it's, it's this great, just like, yeah, you are fucking bad motherfuckers. That's incredible. But it is just a, uh, sort of a, uh, what would be the, the, I don't know. I don't know how else to say it, but that, that would be my, that would be my thing. If you were to suggest a song to introduce someone to Soundgarden, let's narrow it down further. Mr. Now's it down. If I were, if I were to. Yes. Yeah. Um, I am the highway. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck <laughs> off. Like you um, do, you do think that Matt Cameron's one of the, the no, he's greats, great, man. dude. I mean, come um, on. Probably uh, it's something off of Super Unknown. Uh, if I had to pick a song, man. Title track's great. It doesn't get nearly enough love. What song? Oh, the title track. Right. Um. <sighs> Fell on Black Days is still so good. Yep. And You're I know right. it seems like such an obvious choice. You know what? You like busted my chops on uh, Twitter the other day. No, like, no, no. oh, well, won't you play Never Black Mind? Days is oh. not an obvious choice. It's not an obvious choice because the, the, that whole, that whole song is weird, man. Like, it's right, not, So maybe, maybe in my personal um, relationship with uh, Soundgarden, it seems like an obvious choice because I, that was like the song that me and all my buddies like really liked in 1994 really? when it came out. That's interesting. Yeah, because I was the the cool thing about this is I was literally the next year 95 was where I just started getting into music and picking all my own music. You know, 
like diverging from the radio or yeah. listening to DRE or whatever. And um and this was one one of the first albums that I got for sure. And and it it it's weird to not have been old enough to have been aware cuz this would I, I would have been, you know, leaving school to go pick up the album when it came out like I did for for Rage and for these yeah. other, you know, to some of a down and whatever else that I liked when I was old enough at the time to do. So Yeah, man. So I would I'm going to just shift gears really quick just to just to throw this at you. Go for it. Um I think this album should be shorter. Interesting. And I think that uh, and the reason I think Audio Slave is more okay, I don't want to say better. That's 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 a judgment. Um I'll say more accessible. It's also wrong. <laughs> the reason <laughs> I would say that Audio Slave's first album anyway is more accessible than say Super Unknown is Super Unknown is very rhythmic and groove based, whereas I feel like Audio Slave there's a lot more uh, melody introduced that... Yeah, but isn't... I feel like being in Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, it just wasn't the right vehicle to to introduce those types of changes in the melodies that maybe he wanted to get out there. That, so that's a good point, because he does say that Super Unknown um, and then Down on the Upside were where, because he was like doing his quote hobby songs with Temple of the Dog which are much more melodic right and more sort of mm -hmm. obvious choruses and things like that um, that he was introducing elements of that into Soundgarden but Soundgarden like dude when you look at his like interviews and how he talks about writing the songs for Soundgarden he loves Soundgarden yeah he loved Soundgarden like that was he saw Soundgarden like those dudes making music together as like kismet, you know what I mean? Like something that that was operating outside of the individual and was it's the sum of its parts were something special, for lack of a better word. Yeah, man, they're not bad. I'm not. I'm never ever saying it's bad music or. Well, I'm that just. It's, yeah, I'm yeah. not. I'm not. Um, I'm never gonna agree with, you know, Audio Slave being in any way superior, but. I'll say that, and nobody will. I think I might, <laughs> I, I might be the only person who holds that opinion, and maybe I like hanging on to yeah, that. You, might. you, know? you can hang on to it, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but it's I, very we're we're afforded very few opportunities to be the only person to believe a thing. <laughs> but it but it is interesting that you say that because like he was talking about, um, I think it was Fresh Tendrils or one of the other songs on the uh, on the album. Ah, fuck, I forget which one it was, but oh, actually, might have been, um, it might have been either "Day I Tried to Live" or even "Black Hole Sun." But he's using a Leslie on it, right? Which is a, a, a cabinet that has a spinning speaker in it. I think that's "Black Hole Sun." I think it is "Black Hole Sun." Yeah. And so he does this thing, and he's talking about these specific, like, measures in the song where he would turn it on at a particular speed and then turn it off at a particular measure so that it would, you know, slowly whir and, and slow down so that the effect was such that the recording would catch this particular. Right. And, and he was like, 
ruminating in this interview about how he didn't he didn't do it on the recording yet in the demos when they listened back to do the reissue he was like oh i did that on all the demos but i never did it on the final recording and it was just a thing that he didn't he didn't do when they were recording it which is so crazy because he thinks about it i mean he's he's noting like very particular note changes and like Mm -hmm. effects that it had and he's it's like you were aware of all this but you were able to give yourself to the moment in recording to not consider all the math right that 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 you were that actually you think about too you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like and it was just so i just thought beautiful to see somebody who who's this you know selling millions of albums touring the world but in the process of making the product gives himself over more to the emotion and the creative intensity of the moment than what he'd planned out for months before probably yeah i i just i found that to be a really just i don't know it warmed my my heart to read that to go this is that's the dude i thought you were and that's exactly who you were. That's what Soundgarden always was to me. They were exactly what you thought they were, and which was so fucking grand. They went out. I mean, of course, they come back and they do King Animal, but the, the me for fucking, you know, nearly 20 years lived in the idea that they went out with Down on the Upside and, and just went out on top and said, this is what we have to give you. Take these five albums and, and live your life. Yeah. Was he touring with Soundgarden when he uh when he passed away or was he solo? I believe it was solo. Okay. Yeah. I actually don't know, but I think it was I'm pretty sure it was solo because um cuz Cameron's in uh in Pearl Jam. So yeah, he's been in Pearl Jam for a long time, right? Yeah. I mean, pretty much after Down on the Upside, he joined Pearl Jam. Yeah. Who was Pearl Jam's previous drummer? Something they had, four, they had they had a bruisey, they had irons, they had yeah. uh um they had a few. Yeah. I think they had th- that's three. I mean glorified G's about one of them because he brought a fucking gun to the practice space. Jesus. <laughs> Immediately fired. Um I think that was the dude for v- for fucking verses or whatever. Yeah. In any <laughs> case. Yeah. Um, but the, I, yeah, that that's where I left it. Chris Cornell and Soundgarden were they they were what they you know their face value they you know and and no, they they are beautiful. they are rock and roll if you want to hear like what a rock and roll band sounds like yeah man not i mean and for the 90s you know we had i love pearl jam i love nirvana i love alice in chains but like soundgarden is they're they're like the black sabbath of that yeah. of that uh of that group absolutely absolutely yeah i would i would that's a great way of putting it Totally. Yep. Yeah. Do you ever hear so, uh, their covers album? No. So I forget if it was, su- I think it was Super Unknown or Loud and Love. They put out like a covers album too with it at one point and I had the bootleg and they do Girl You Want. She's just a girl. A girl. Girl you want. Oh What's my. Who, I don't know that song. God. It's so good. Um, it's such a fantastic cover. Uh, the, the original... Um, is uh, Devo. Oh, okay. That's why I don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> In any case. Um, yeah, final thoughts on, on Super Unknown? Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I think my final thoughts are it should be a little bit shorter. Uh, my Wave is just not really a very good song. I don't know why that I'm gets... I'm always going to be with you on that. Yeah, it just... Uh, People love there, it. There's something corny about it, and I don't want to like I... shit on anyone's art. I mean, well, that's not true. I don't want to poop <laughs> on um, uh, Sound Gardens anyway. Uh, yeah. It just... I don't know. The times are different. It is definitely... When you hear a song like My Wave, it's like, yeah, definitely the 90s. And then you can also see where some of... Um, like Audio Slave's second album, there's a couple of really bad songs on that. That's like, ah, Chris, you definitely, you like, you wrote everything. Like, <laughs> not like you wrote everything, but like you could write every type of song. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, Yeah, no, I'm with you. I've always been of that mind and I've always gotten into like arguments about yeah. my way because people, it was a single, it was a big fucking yeah. song from that album it's that too era. long i don't care for it at all yeah it's like five minutes it's over five minutes let me see it's like it is uh five minutes and 12 seconds the fuck out of here dude excess yeah. that is like the excess of the 80s just kind of that's what they brought that kind of metal like hey we'll have long ass songs that was definitely yeah. a hallmark of uh i think that is a early 90s the 80s. uh i think that is a holdover and i'll say this dude they open up with one of the most difficult songs ever. Like, Let Me Drown is crazy. That's a that's a wild, do you not agree? Because that is a wild, you ever try to play it? It's intense. Yeah. Yeah, I just put that on, yeah. That's, it's sick riffs. <laughs> yeah, dude. And the drums, yeah. I mean, the drums are always fucking phenomenal. But yeah. in any case, I, I think if you're going to lose a song you're talking about too long, the only song I would lose is... Is my, uh, wave. my wave, and yeah. then it's a perfect album, and it's under. It's still a little over an hour, but that's fine. Yeah, All perfect right. album then. Cool, awesome. All man. right, let's. What are you drinking? All right, so uh, we're moving on. Of course, the uh, theme is suicide. <laughs> um, oh boy! But we have the we have the up. We are. I of course I I tempered it with all this sort of like it ends up being uplifting. You know, I mean. It's funny, dude. I almost got a little worked up when I was talking about uh, Cornell. Like, I didn't even think about it until we were talking about like how he threw out the the fucking theory of how he wanted to write these songs and just played it in the moment. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was, I don't know, got a little moved because I I didn't think about it. I knew it, but I didn't think about it until I said you it. Felt to it. You. Yeah. yeah, I felt it. That was, so that his was while you're cracking your beer, his interview with uh, Mark Marin, I didn't hear it until after he uh, after he passed away. And then Marin uh, re-released it. That's a no great interview. Great really, interview. I'll have to listen to that because I like I like both of them. Um, so we're doing something here, or I'm doing something called uh, Beer Suicide, which is um, a little game you can play with yourself or others. That is a that is a rolling rock, and I have just poured a Shiner Holiday Cheer into my cup. We are in isolation. Why are you doing this? And uh, I'm combining these. Oh, it's so heady. Look uh, at the froth, my friend. My God. I'm putting it in a gigantic glass, and I'm going to see if I can get both. I don't think this is a 24. I think this is a 20-ounce. But I'm combining these beers. That's what you call beer suicide. What you're supposed to do, if you really want to play the game, dear listener, um, is you get 
a bunch of buddies together, a bunch of people, and you have them bring all the random beers that they have in their fridge, and you combine them like a fucking frat party into one gigantic cooler, and that's beer suicide. Is it ever good? Um, if Hesitation perfect, means no. <laughs> if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I've done this twice, um, and no, it was never good. <laughs> The, the, I was I was actually looking forward to it if we weren't in quarantine um, to seeing what Nick would bring because if he had like a really powerful brew, it would probably offset the weird just garbage that I'm putting in here. Not the Rolling Rock and, Gar- and Shiner are garbage, but they're like not meant to be done like this. Yeah. Well, while yours is settling, I am drinking a Yards Brawler, as previously mentioned. It's just an English style. Uh, I guess kind of like a mild ale. Malt. Very malty. Very nice. It very is drinkable. very malty, yeah. 4.2%. So, Delicious. Nicely done. You uh, you deserve it, my friend. I'm, I'm hurting my body here. The Shiner is, uh, you know, this is old, obviously. It's from Spetzel Brewery in Texas. Did a little thing on this years ago. It's 5.4. Um, it's a Bavarian. It's dark, very malty. It's got peaches and um, pecans in it. Uh, Rolling Rock is from Latrobe. It's no longer the original Rolling Rock uh, formula. It's an old, just extra pale beer that um, we used to drink for quite some time in the ponies. Uh, and um, holy shit, dude. This I almost fit a full 24 ounces in this thing. Look at that. Cheers, my friend. Grab a screenshot of that. Cheers. Did you grab a screenshot? I didn't. Here, I'm just going to take a picture. <laughs> I don't have like the fingers to do it. Look so at look see. at the camera. There you go. Yeah. Cut all that. <laughs> <laughs> Got the screenshot, baby. Here we go down the hatch. How was um, it? <laughs> surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly delightful. I really okay. was expecting to just shit all over it um well the cheer is not a the shiner cheer is not awful that's like it's fine yeah that's it and it's the thing is is like the coloration is now like a caramel instead of the darker uh bavarian and honestly the combo the only thing about it is is like they're mixing to to give it a little bit of that yeasty sort of effervescence (laughs) you know what i mean (laughs) like like that's happening a little bit um but beyond that it's actually pretty good yeah we'll just see if it makes your pee burn yeah no it's not an std well you'll know that yet (laughs) (laughs) um but it's it's pretty damn good let me ask you this so this is a beer suicide what um weird combinations have you created with uh either multiple beers or beers and some sort of beverage what's your what's your what's your beer alchemy to bring it back oh man that's a really good question i've got um fuck i don't like sports (laughs) no no (laughs) you know i'm not a big sportsman that's true but i do love 
with a passion. Um, it's the only way to love <laughs> is is backup quarterbacks. Okay. Particularly, particularly when Eagles have great backup quarterbacks. <laughs> so a long time ago, before um, Nick Foles proved his greatness, uh, we had another yeah. quarterback, A.J. Feely. Ah, of course. And of course. I made a beer at the bar. And, Called, uh, call me touchy. It was, <laughs> we called it an A.J. Feely, and it was definitely... We thought about this for a very long time, and there were reasons for all the choices. I, I, you're asking too much of me now to say that, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm almost positive it was Guinness, uh, Bailey's, and is he Irish? Feely? I'm not sure. Like again, oh, I thought the there time, was a yeah, but at, I, the, I, at the time there were reasons. Yeah, this is uh, this is what you literally just asked me not to ask you two seconds. Yeah, and there was there was a third one, and my logic. Wants to say, oh, it's probably Jameson, but I don't think it was. Um, wow. But that was, that was very good. And we used to, uh, we start, okay, actually, so here's one that you can actually still get because I, you'll never get an AJ Feely because it, it has been lost to uh, uh, yeah. nights of drinking. Um, if you can get yourself a bottle or can of Wells banana bread beer, yeah, and I then can. you get yourself I mean, not now, but- a can of Young's double chocolate stout. You do a half and half. It's like a chocolate banana bread. So there we that go. That's that's the one I can hand off to you. That is thick with like C cubed, baby. Yeah. So that Wells banana thick. bread, which is a banana bready Delicious. ale. And, that's um, a British style. Yeah, they're both British. Yeah. So we used to we used to pour that. Uh, we used to have both on draft, and we used to pour those Ooh. all the time. That was great. Ooh, little black and tan. Oh, darling, Nick. Yeah. They didn't. They didn't uh, sit as well as like a true black and tan, just because I guess the the whatever the the volume of uh, both yeah. There's beers, a reason but. black and tan. All right. So with that, before I give you mine, um, what to you is a true black and tan? Guinness and what? Oh, um, I don't have an answer for that. I knew. I know there is an answer. It's hot, isn't it? Oh, I, th- I think you're right. Then right. I that's what I think. I I just always, I always thought any I'm ale right. and any stout. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's harp. I think it's harp and Guinness. Um, yeah, maybe somebody can tell us what it really is if I'm fucking wrong because I might very well be. But that's what I always thought it was. Yeah. The combo, the beer alchemy that um, I mean this this knocked my shoes and then my socks off when I was younger. I had um, my my very good friend, dare I say it, my best friend, Eric Maley, went to Bloomsburg University and he used to perform at this place called Harry's. Um, and they had on tap uh, Paps Blue Ribbon as well as the um, uh, Raspberry... Um, fuck, just flew right out of my head. The Frambois? Frambois. So they had Frambois on tap. Yeah. Oh, that's they, a sticky, that is a sticky draft line. So, oh. but this is what they made, dude. And and this is what I love about small towns, right? Yeah. So you go to a small town and you, there's something there that's unique to it. I don't know if you're familiar. I'll talk about that in a minute. In any case. So you would go to Harry's 
and that was the pregame happy hour spot for Bloomsburg for all the college students. It was a really nice, nicely appointed place. Talking about what I remember to be marble floors. They could have been linoleum. I don't know. But <laughs> they had Frambois on tap, so I always attribute it to like, this like, like czar-era Russian palace-looking <laughs> yeah. thing. But in any case, so you would get a Paps Red Ribbon, and it would be Paps, but they'd hit you with enough Frambois that it wasn't too sweet. It would turn the beer red, but it was this gorgeous combination that would sort of perfectly mix and mm-hmm. and give you just this beer that was great but didn't give you the headache that you'd expect from all the fructose and the fucking oh, wow. beer. It was wonderful. You could literally have four or five of them and and the next day as long as you didn't do something stupid after that was fucking fine. And yeah. I always found that to be really fascinating because that's when I started to, you know, sort of like know what a hangover was. Um <laughs> So, so that's that's the alchemy that I like the most. Um, they at the corner of my street. You're familiar with Delios, correct? Yeah, they're they're. I mean, they're closed. Long since closed. Yeah. Um, they used to have. Did you ever go there? Oh God, no. Ah, I see. Truyanka. Yeah, because yeah, you didn't. Um, I, I knew better. Do do heroin? I didn't, yeah. And so, I never. Yeah, I never needed to buy cocaine or heroin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That um, was, you know, obviously super close to my house. I, I went there a bunch when I moved in, not because I needed cocaine or heroin, but because I it liked was to play like billiards. It was 100 yards from your house. Right, right. And they had a pool table. Yeah. Um, so I would go there. They also had, which I didn't notice until like my fourth visit, a gigantic vat that like you used to see at Kmart for like slushies, right? Like mm-hmm. a big circular vat where the... The, the drink is, is like going up and then going back in, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it was full of um, a clear liquid and maraschino cherries. And it was this weird moonshine, essentially, that they had made. And you would get this tiny shot of it with the maraschino cherry in the bottom. It was like a shot glass like this that was on this perfect V and um dude that they essentially the one person at the bar told me that it was all the clear alcohol combined and another person told me that it was just grain alcohol yeah but nobody i didn't i know i don't know it's probably legal well why am i you can't even say that word in a sentence with the leos we're talking about the leos absolutely not yeah yeah anyway so it was probably grain alcohol but who knows man anything it was who knows yeah so, but I'll, I'm gonna, for our purposes right now, say that it was alchemy and it was all the all the clear. So you drank it, liquors, dude. One, one, and you were immediately, like, like just immediately changed. Your 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 whole night. thinking, like you were, <laughs> and it wasn't even that you were like instantly hammered because you couldn't be, but it was just like whoa, like that that affected me immediately and but that is what i was going to say to to sort of sum it up is like all these different things combined to one um it's 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 like too much like the brain can only process one thing at a time and it's too much for it to handle and uh yeah let me ask one final question before we get to ratings 
Um, you're a workaday man, right? Right. I'm a workaday man. I mean, we're teachers. It's not it's not manual labor, but it's 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 a labor of sorts. Some some sometimes it's a blue collar job. I would say we can argue it is more fatiguing uh, than yeah. You know, some days like, I'm man, more I, fatigued as a teacher than I was as a butcher. Yes, yeah. It's a different type of fatigue. It's like man, I just need to go to fuck sleep or just rest my right. whatever. So, end of the day, you've pushed the boulder up to the hill. You've got that moment where it's just yours. You're going to crack a beer. What is that moment where you must imagine yourself happy? What beer are you going to have in that moment? Ooh. We don't need a why. I just want to know Good the beer. Good question. That's a very, very, very good question. This is the beer. This is like this is why life is worth living. It's keeping you from uh, the alternative. Wow. Um, What's the beer you want to sit down and crack open when Gabriel's uh, uh, nine, I'm assuming you're going to wait? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, man. What a great question. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I'll go so, first. <laughs> yeah, do you know it yours already? Yeah, always. Always oh. a Guinness. Always I love a it. Guinness. Always. Always a Guinness. It's always the same answer. Wow. Um, that's a really that's a really I mean, it's great to have a standby like that. Like excuse me. Um my you know, my standby, as you know, is is a fucking Coors Yellow Belly. Yeah. But that's not the one I would... End of the day, that's not the one you want to crack open? Like a Sierra Nevada Tropical Torpedo or a, or a Tired Hands Alien Church. Like something oh, that... Oh, a nice a, IPA, huh? There's a lot of nuance going on there. It's an IPA that's going to relax. Like, because if I am drinking, it's to... It's, it's to center my mind. Because my my mind is like Pong if it had a problem and went to Delios, right? And so I need to 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 dull it enough that I can process what's happening. All right, you know. So something like, <laughs> like that. I don't know, man. You had such a, uh, a succinct and direct answer, and I I wish. Um, that was such a good question that I... You don't have to. I mean, listen, more, once you prepared. edit this, yours is going to seem succinct and direct really quick Probably as well. Not. So. Probably not. <laughs> I got to edit it in like two hours. <laughs> Today? Oh, is this? does this have to go out tomorrow? Yes. Oh, listen, <laughs> tomorrow, Saturday, listen, it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't kill yourself. Hey, uh, let me... I'm going to introduce the rating system. Yeah, what do we got this right, time? Uh, are you familiar with the show The Good Place? I am familiar with it, uh, but I haven't, you know, like watched the season or anything. I watched a few episodes. Oh, like, this is man. Wild. All right, well, so there's one character, uh, Chidi um, Adegonye, and he's a philosopher. And <clears throat> he has his. Is he the he dude has... that she, like, pals around with? Yeah. The African American man? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he has an existential crisis, and he starts making this 
gross chili in front of his classroom. Instead of like lecturing, he's just telling him, he says, nothing, everything is, doesn't matter. Nothing matters. And he starts putting all these peeps into this giant thing of chili. Oh, nice. So he says, I put the peeps in the chili and I make it real bad. <laughs> so <laughs> our rating system is how many peeps in the chili? How many peeps in the chili, except that's a good thing. Yes. Well, oh, I don't know because it makes it bad. Should we, should we do it the other way? So zero peeps is like 10 peeps? Yes. No right. peeps in the chili is good. No peeps in the chili is good. All right. All right. So um, I will rate Camus' Myth of Sisyphus um, one out of 10 peeps in the chili. All right, so that's like pretty good. Really good. Yeah. I th- I think it's fantastic. The 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 issue I have with it is definition of terms and presumption on the writer's part of what the reader knows going into it. Yeah. All right. Super unknown, I give negative 10 peeps. <laughs> Cuz Sand, like if you were to, yeah, if you were to like not have my wave or if my wave was a little different, it would be a perfect album. Me, I love, I love Super Unknown, but the, for for reasons of profound personal connection, uh, Super Unknown is 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 very much my jam. And the Beer Suicide, I give five. Out of ten peeps in the chili, there's many ways this could have been better, but just as many that it could have been worse. So I think it's right in the middle there. My ratings are uh, uh, the myth of Sisyphus. When I <laughs> give it, I can't even say I have a couple of beers. The myth of Sisyphus was <laughs> is uh, I don't know, man. I have a lot of thoughts about why I'm going to give it five peeps in the chili. Okay. Um, I feel like these thought exercises are sometimes just that, and I'm okay. not sure what you're really supposed to walk away with. And I would argue that Camus isn't really sure what you're supposed to walk away with because these thinkers, they posit these these uh, ideas and modes of thought, but then they, in his next document, he could change it, you know? He's right. not putting you're this right. forward as this is the way it's like this is just a way so right um i don't want to say i'm annoyed i i feel like i'm not smart enough to to get it no, well what you just said is what he says at the very end you know that this is this is before he gets into the actual that last essay he says this is yeah what you just said a way and not the way super unknown two peeps in the chili and uh, my brawler, uh, let's say um, it, one peep in the chili. It's a good beer. Yeah. You really like the brawler. I do. I do. It's a nice beer. Yeah. I just, it's a little too malty. I'm a maltman. Big maltman. You are a big maltman. Danny Maltman used to call me. They call him Danny the Maltman. <laughs> All right, uh, so I'm gonna. We got some social media. Uh, we are on Ooh, do it. Instagram, 
at oh, Book Record Beer. So much beer. We're on Twitter Such a weird at Book Record Beer. And we're on Facebook at Book Record Beer. This is why we need Gregorio. I don't know any of these things. I don't either. I, I was literally about to correct you and share the password for one of those social media. <laughs> That's <apps>. not right. <laughs> I was about to go. No, man. It's And then I was like, oh, dude. <laughs> well, this has been um, weird, like a this lot of things weird. are. And a lot of things are very weird right now, and and uh, you know we're not we're not um, in any way prepared or qualified to give any sort of uplifting sentiment or advice. But I would say that reading about suicide in a pandemic was strangely freeing. I thought. Listening to an album largely focused on dealing with depression, darkness, suicide by someone who committed suicide was strangely like adept at attuning my lens at looking at what actually is happening positively in the world right now. Yeah, I understand that that's... um you know, dichotomy, right? Or it's a it's a reflection of, um, man, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Not paradox. Things are multifaceted. When you see the one side, it it, it can illuminate the other. We have within us multitudes. It's a juxtaposition. <laughs> That's I think, the is what word. You're talking about. Yeah, and and I would ag- I would agree with you largely there, but I found that to be very interesting in the experience of rereading this stuff re-listening to this stuff um in the midst of a pandemic you know we we haven't really experienced it in this way and we haven't seen people's sort of like glaring character flaws narcissism and complete disregard for humanity exposed to such a degree that is also exposed sort of like our inherent community and like trust and love for one another. Yeah. And um, if nothing else, I think it's a an odd time capsule that we now made. Well, I'm glad to have made it with you. And, I'm glad uh, to have made it with you. Listeners, um, thanks for being here. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>